Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my next interview is with Mia Donovan. She is an award-winning filmmaker. She has she takes on some pretty interesting subjects and I think some pretty difficult subjects, but, but important. Uh, nevertheless, her new film dope is death is uh, Canadian. It's Canadian premiere is happening at hot dogs, hot dogs online this year. It is a film that you need to see. The word is prescient and uh, it is so relevant. It is, it is all about what's going on right now. And, and it's about how we need to step in and listen to what's going on uh, in the U.S., in Canada, when it comes to oppression and, and police uh, brutality and, 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 and violence and white privilege and all of the above. This is a film that is about politics. It's about healthcare. It's about human rights. And it's about uh, basically heroin addiction in the uh, late 60s and 70s in the Bronx, in New York City. But more importantly, it's about the healthcare and the approach to actually attending to that systemic problem and all of those things that are connected to it. And, and, and this is why the film is so relevant and so present for, for us today. So, so um, stay tuned. And uh, me and I have a, a, f- a lot of fun talking about uh, uh, this film, uh, the, the, the history and, 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 and why, um, hmm, why acupuncture uh, um, um, matters. It's about counter narratives and about black movements and about somebody who I had never heard of before and my apologies Matulu uh, uh, Matulu Shakur and about how he stepped into something in the 70s that made uh, a huge and a significant difference this is about uh, pushing back it's about protest it's about practical action and about um, making change and it's 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 about freedom and uh, and like I said it's about uh, healthcare and human rights and ultimately isn't it really folks all about hope and about what's next and so uh, I hope you can get to see the film soon it's called dope is death and please stay tuned for for a wonderful conversation with Mia we uh, like I said 
we had some fun, but we also get into some pretty interesting and, and serious matters as well. Don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my writing and my public speaking. You can get a copy of Real Changes Incremental there. And face-to-facelive.ca, you're hopefully already there because you're listening to the podcast, but check out the website for over 500 other interviews, uh, but almost a seven-year history now. A whole lot of filmmakers, documentarians, narrative filmmakers, philosophers, comedians, people making a difference, casual conversation, intelligent inspiration. And please share uh, the website with others. Social mediate us. uh, Sign up for the newsletter. Uh, Please leave us a comment on iTunes. I would be so grateful. Uh, A four or five star uh, review would be fantastic with maybe a one liner there. It would really help. We're slowly building that uh, presence as well. And sign up for the newsletter. And if you want to support us, you can do that through Patreon and support us there. We'd love that. We do have a few subscribers now. And we're thinking about what we can offer to people that will actually uh, make it more interesting. And if you can't do that, and I totally get that, please leave us a review. And also know that you can advertise with us here. We've got some serious traffic on our website we have a decent sized newsletter that goes out monthly and we have a a, a database we have people listening so you can advertise on the website and the newsletter uh, with us online and 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 even in in uh, podcasts as well so um, please reach out if you uh, so desire and also rabble.ca it's a platform where face-to-face exists and lives and proud of that and and we have a whole other audience there and a whole other host of writers and thinkers and podcasters and bloggers, news for the rest of us. That's rabble.ca. But stay tuned. Coming right up, Mia Donovan talking about everything that matters and her new film, Dope is Death. Well, welcome to Face to Face. Uh, we are joined by a very special guest here with us today. We have Mia Donovan to talk about her new film, her new prescient, and is that the right word? <laughs> Present? Prescient? Uh, new film, Dope is Death, and it's a premiere in Canadian premiere at the Hot Docs Online. Mia, thanks for joining us today, and let's figure out how to spell the word prescient, shall we? Yeah, I don't even know if I've heard that word. <laughs> I'm, not sure. I'm not sure I have either. It just rolled off my tongue. I mean, maybe yeah, I, I know that I didn't just create a new word, but I think what I'm trying to get at is your film is, I mean, talk about hitting the nail on the head. It's just, it, we're present here. We are in the middle of this uh, mess in the U S and frankly, the COVID and so much going on. And we've got this, the, the protests and the pushback and your film is just landed right in the middle. And it's, it, you couldn't have timed it better. Uh, how, how do you, how do you uh, make sense of that? Um, I mean, it's a it's it's something I've been thinking a lot about mm-hmm. this week, and I'm obviously, um, I think as as a white person, as a filmmaker, um, it's a time for me to sit back and like listen mm-hmm. to what's going on, and not so I haven't really been seeing this as an opportunity to necessarily push my film. Right. Um, I also don't think that I think this has always been present. We're just seeing it so clearly right now, which is good. Um, but my film does offer, I mean, if there's the dope is death looks at the history of counter, the counterintelligence program and how they, how like the, the police resistance to, uh, you know, nationalistic black national movements. So there is like some interesting history to kind of like understand what's going on today. 
Well, I think I think your film. I mean, I, you know, I always love to ask uh, doc filmmakers, and sometimes at the end of a forty-minute interview, I still haven't asked the question. So, what really is your film about? And it sort of usually comes out in the conversation. But I, and by the way, congratulations! I love the film. It's it's important. It's it's. I hope everyone gets to see it, and it it needs to be seen for so many reasons. I mean. What is the film about Dopa's death? I mean, you could, you know, it's it's about community and it's about racism and it's about oppression. I mean, it's so layered. Yeah. And, and it's, yet you also get into acupuncture. So it's been fantastic. It's always been a difficult film for me to pitch. Like, you know, mm. people always want the one sentence pitch. Right. And I can just haven't really found that one sentence. But I was attracted to make the film when I heard about this radical, this connection between the roots of community acupuncture in America and the Black Panthers and the Young Lords, which were the Puerto Rican counterpart to the Black Panthers, and um, their efforts to come together to fight heroin addiction in, you know, in parallel with what was happening with Nixon's war on drugs. And so originally, to me, it was just like, wow, they're I had no idea that this is where activism came from. And this idea that, I'm mm. oh, sorry, that act, I that acupuncture was a political tool. That's right. sort of uh, what really initially attracted me to the project. But like you said, it, it touches on so much more about um, white supremacy, racism, how healthcare is politicized. The It touches upon the history of the counterintelligence program, um, political prisoners. What does it mean to be a political prisoner today in America? Um, so there is a lot of themes that this film touches upon, and I feel like I just scratched the surface with the film. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that's what's so remarkable about stepping back from something like this. Here's a, you know, here's a city where, I mean, I was, I don't know how old I was, about five, born, born in the mid-60s, so live during this time, and a city not too far away from where I lived, and all this was going on, and it's so layered and so complicated, and so problematic. And I think there's one really, inter well, there's so many different interesting points, but I think it's Dave, David Off, is that how you pronounce his name? And he was sort of talking about those folks who wouldn't even have known, you know, including me and my family, about something like this because it didn't really affect us. So therefore, it wasn't our problem. And isn't that the problem of racism and oppression we find ourselves in today? We, we aren't listening. We aren't paying attention. And somehow, we got to get these stories in front of people's you know, eyes and onto their TV screens. And it's not just about the films, of course, but it's about, you know, creating that conversation, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, one thing, the main uh, a motivating factor in making the film was to pro provide a counter narrative to right. this idea of the history of acupuncture in America, which people don't understand this connection. Also, um, counter narrative to Dr. Matulu Shakur, who's was on the FBI's most wanted list, who's considered one of the most dangerous domestic terrorists in America. Um, but yet he's this great community leader, healer, uh, who was fighting to get quality health care, access to quality health care to the people. But meanwhile, he got caught up in this uh, counterintelligence program that that was designed to pacify any movements, um, any black national movements towards self-determination. So there's like, um, 
there's a lot of history that hasn't really been told or that has that the dominant narrative the dominant voice have just like omitted or not seen maybe they never knew or went to efforts to hide so so t- talk to me a little bit about Matula Shakur and and I just find it so deeply beautiful and ironic that that he was the guy who brought in this treatment that didn't have drugs attached to it that it was was anti-methadone that was massage and acupuncture <clears throat> what was his line acupressure and a lot of love and commitment or something like that yeah um, when he's talking about this we have you got some great footage right well, uh, back in back in the 70s he brings something like this in and then tell tell us a little bit about him and his story and and, and give us a shout out to us to his website and, and, and what's going on with him currently. Yeah, so Dr. Matula Shakur was a young activist in the 60s. He was a part of the Republic of New Africa, which was, um, they, were, they were a black nationalist group working towards um, creating a new African nation with the Dixie States. So they were a little bit more, I guess you could say, radical than the Black Panthers, but he worked alongside them. And he grew up with a a mother who was blind. And early on, he recognized how the healthcare system, just the inadequacy, like just how difficult it was for him and his, him, for his mother to receive proper healthcare. And when the heroin epidemic started in New York in the 1970s, even though he was like 20, he, he he understood that there was, that who drugs served in the society. Mm, so for right. him, it was very important to go completely like to fight against heroin and methadone. And his political analysis was that it was a low intensity warfare, that drugs were a chemical warfare to pacify resistance. So it was very, very political, his analysis of drugs and acupuncture was a way to ease withdrawal symptoms without methadone or without pharmaceuticals and also acupuncture was a way to provide health care for his community or the poor the community of the South Bronx which had one dilapidating horrible hospital facility that the residents called the butcher shop so there was really mm-hmm. no decent health care at all and so there was a lot of things like that he just really picked up when he learned about acupuncture, he just really saw the potential. So he um, started using it, experimenting with it, um, and then came to Montreal to study at the Quebec Institute of Acupuncture here, which was in Montreal, we had the first teaching acupuncture school in North America. So there was this interesting Montreal connection, which is how mm. I heard about the story when I met his former teacher. Who's still in Montreal? Who's still in Montreal, yeah. Who's in the film, Mario Wexu. I love I love how it led to so much else and so much other too. I mean, obviously, there's there's uh, so many different threads, but the 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 uh, what, what was it called? The Lincoln Detox Unit, basically, or something along those well, lines. It was called the Lincoln Detox People's Program, and then People's most, Program. Yeah, because it was um, right. The People's Hospital. Yes, but it's often just been referred to as the Lincoln Detox, which is an old hospital. The Lincoln was, Hospital, which was basically. Uh, um, 
they, they can we say it this way? They marched on it and they kind of they took it over. Uh, services continued, and of course the police were called in. And I think this is where I mean that the timing of your film and some of some of what some of the narrative that that unfolds, and that clearly we need to you know go deeper and peel back more layers. But but it's just so relevant to me. I mean, this was protest that led to practical action. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Like it was just to set the stage. Like it was 1970. The South Bronx, which was predominantly Puerto Rican and African American, and the link nobody the Lincoln Hospital was, as they called it, a butcher shop, and it started with um, trying to just make meet the needs of the community. So some of these young political activists would volunteer to be translators for. Mm. Um, Spanish-speaking patients. Right. They went around to the community and, and did surveys and asked people what they needed. And you know, and when they realized how the needs really weren't being served from the hospital, they decided to occupy it, take it over, and demand certain changes, which included a, a, a Lincoln, which included a drug detoxification unit, among other things. So. Um, they really did like, and as you see in the documentary there at that time, there was, um, space, there was, um, an interaction between these young activists and the city of New York. And they did kind of meet halfway, like the city agreed to fund this politically run detoxification unit in the hospital, which is pretty amazing. It's really amazing. It really is an incredible story. It's uh, um, I'm surprised I've not, I've not heard of any of this before myself, but that's you know just my own ignorance and got got to dig deeper. Clearly, um, the, the connect again the the dots the connecting dots for me are just so so incredible. So Shakur is there there. Can, can you tell us about present day for what's happening um, um, campaign? pushback i mean we, we you know we've got uh we've got the what is it the mccarthy era uh, back in the the 70s yeah. with with nixon and the conspiracy and the cia and the maoists and it just you go are, are you kidding me did they <laughs> really it, it was this messy and and clearly it was yeah i mean the for i guess um in the case of the the lincoln detox they were providing the acupuncture protocol and they were, they stopped providing methadone. So the city of New York, that, that drew suspicion from the health and hospitals corporation. And they were doing, they were providing political education classes. Mm. So assemblyman Chuck Schumer, who we hear about a lot today at that time, um, was really suspicious and denounced the program at Lincoln Detox saying that uh, in the New York Times, he said that the, that the Lincoln Detox was indoctrinating drug addicts into domestic terrorists, like making that, like turning them into radical activists, because once people in the community got off drugs, they would become involved in community issues, right? Like rent strikes. And, you know, like they, they understood their rights. They were protesting. So that's in the, the CIA took note, the FBI and the project was infiltrated. And then it was shut down by 1978 at which time Matulu carried on and went to Harlem and opened a new acupuncture clinic called the black acupuncture advisory association of North America. I love that acronym, by the way. Yeah. It's, (laughs) 
So there's B, is it triple, it's triple A, right? It's triple A, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, so funny. And he, this became much more of a, a political project. They didn't have, mm. they no longer had funds from the city to operate the clinic. Um, this was the 80s. There was, um, the times were a lot different. There was much more of, with Reagan and like this government repression um, that swept across for all these like leftover new left organizations. And eventually there was a Brinks armored truck robbery in 1981 where two police officers and a Brinks guard died. It was like a horrible situation. And Mitulu was eventually charged as being the mastermind of this this event, as well as the liberation of Asada Shakur from prison. And he was also charged with using illegally gained funds to, to open an acupuncture clinic in Harlem. But there's no physical evidence linking him to any of these crimes, no. but it's under the RICO charge, the RICO Act. So all of these people who were connected politically were basically labeled a criminal organization by the government. Right. There was so, some, yeah. That that act was the one that allowed the government now to charge him as a gangster, basically. Yes, and that act was designed to be able to get the heads of mafia, which was always so. It's it's a really like messy case. It um, the government did a lot of because of the RICO Act, they were able to bring in patients or any associates of Matulu patients that were just going to the clinic and hold them for up to a year in prison or in jail. Um, so yeah, it, it's a very complicated case. I don't go into too much detail in the documentary, but I just, the information's out there. People want to do research, but today, um, you know, 40 years later, Matulu is now an elder. He has, he has bone marrow cancer. He's had a stroke. He has diabetes. He's, he's, um, you know, he's, he's not a threat to society. He's served 35 years in prison and his friends and family are trying to fight for a compassionate release so he can go home, be with his family for the rest of his years, which may not be that long. And they keep denying him compassionate, compassionate release. release. Um, he was not allowed to give any interviews for this documentary. We right, tried. Right. Um, I was able to meet him many times in person, but um, they, you know, so that's the situation now, and we, you can check out the website and yeah, Matulu Shakur S H A K U R dot com. I'll, I'll I'll put links and so on to it. That must have been incredibly, as a filmmaker and a storyteller, so uh, frustrating for you to to have been shut down that way. I'm sure you tried in a variety of different ways. To, I mean, what any reasons or just no? They don't have to give any reasons. Right. So they, I mean, they gave. They did. They do give reasons, like you know, like oh, you're a Canadian documentary filmmaker we only give you know permission to american broadcasters or you they, they would give a reason but i also know of other people who fit that description in the u.s who've tried to interview him and they were also rejected for different reasons but um it was frustrating but in the end it's like i the challenge was like how do i keep matulu's presence in the film without right. any current interviews and i feel like we still luckily I had access to archives of him and um you know I feel like his presence is still there oh 
Absolutely. I got to ask you about the archival footage. How do you go through all of that and, and piece something together that's that's ultimately sensible and, and, and makes contact with reality? You must have had a lot of footage to go through. There was a lot of footage. It, again, uh, this film took um, a, a, to the, you know, thankfully I have a very patient, supportive producer, mm. but it was years of editing. Uh, I think friends of mine, like I would avoid seeing friends sometimes or talking to people at parties because like six months earlier I would be like yeah my film is going to be done in like two weeks but I <laughs> think I said that for like two and a half years or three years right 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 but um it just takes a lot of time especially like also it, it was very important to have to have this process of editing very collaborative so I mm. would do a cut and I would send it to like Makini Shakur which was Matula's wife or different people for feedback. Sure. Yeah, so, absolutely. It's, a, it's such a challenging, sensitive story. It seems to me so many, so many ways that you could have, I don't know, um, misinterpreted things or, I mean, you're, and that's not, I suppose your job, but as an editor, you are kind of interpreting, right. And juxtaposing and all of that. So you want people to say, I would think you would want their blessing in a sense, right. Absolutely. Or, because it is sensitive. Matulu, um, I'm so grateful, trusted me yeah. to take on this endeavor. And it's through him that each person in the that I interviewed said yes. Mostly it was because of Matulu's that Matulu was on board. Right. And right. also legally it's sensitive. Um, so yeah, it was something that um was very Every project is that way because you do have as a documentary filmmaker, if it's a, you it's like you have the response. It's a lifetime commitment to your subjects if you do a film. You have to live with that. It's a huge responsibility. And it's something I don't take lightly. I it's important that everything is has the right tone. It's I'm not an investigative reporter. I'm trying right, to represent right. kind of um the motivations, uh the and for me, what is so inspiring about Matulu in this story is that this whole initiative, this whole uh, program of using acupuncture and political education to treat heroin, heroin addicts in um, the South Bronx was, it was governed by love and hope. Like mm. they had so much hope that they could change the world. And that was what fueled this whole movement. And there was this interview that I found it's not in the documentary, but I heard on a radio show that Matulu was able to do in 1992. And he said that to the, to the man who was interviewing him, that from the context, Matulu described that from the context of the 60s, when he joined the movement, he believed that Black people were going to be free by 73. That's how much hope he had wow. for the liberation of people, of oppressed people. So if we think about that, and that's like kind of how he was you know, what was going on in their minds while they were taking over these hospitals, while they were like reject, confronting big pharma and saying, no, we're not going to use methadone. We're going to use acupuncture. You know, like there's just like, it's really inspiring and, and loving and. Well, and way ahead of its time. So ahead of its time, they understood the war, the ramifications of the war on drugs early on. They understood that there was an urgency to address drugs in a political context. Because before well, I, the war on drugs, drugs were much more viewed as a public health concern. 
you know what you know what's it just hit me now is I, I think in, you know way ahead of their time in a sense prophetic Matulu and, and others they they saw that it wasn't just about throwing other medications or more money at it but it was about providing access it was about human rights it was about freedom and about community Absolutely. I love that one I love that one line Mia that you you put in and I can't remember who it was who said it but um <laughs> it's kind of poetic uh, it certainly rhymed each one teach one yes. and and what is it you are your sister's keeper right I think is this or something like that Yeah each one teach one you're, you are your brother and sister's keeper. Your brother and your sister's keeper. Yeah. And, and that sense of, you got to, we, we, there, there's a collective, this is about co-collaboration. It's about community. It's about empowering others and, and we got to take care of each other. Yes. And the each one teaching was very important to Matulu because he wanted to spread acupuncture to all across the world for, so that oppressed people could take care of their own communities. And That's so funny. To, he didn't. It wasn't just about his community. He he wanted to go big or go home. Yeah. He wanted this to go across the world. Yes, <laughs> fantastic. Love it. Mm-hmm. That, that's awesome. Hey, I gotta ask. So, are you a uh, patient of acupuncture? Have you have you tried this system? I, f- I forget what the system. It's, fi- it's like five point your acupuncture, right? Yes, Nada. I have tried. Nada. I have tried that specifically. The first time okay. I went to the clinic in Harlem, the the clinic that we that's in the film the that's operating today. I did try the acupuncture, the, the protocol that everybody was doing, and it is very relaxing. Um, I slept really well that night. Oh, that's fantastic. There's definitely something there. And I do, I, Mario Wexu, who's in the documentary, who was their teacher, Right. one of the first times I went to interview him, he could tell that I had a, a migraine, like a headache. It was like the day after a migraine. Oh, interesting. And he was okay. like, yeah. I got to put some needles on you. And I was like, no, no, it's all good. He's like, come on, <laughs> yeah. just let me, I can't look at you. I have to put some needles in you. So he, oh, put, that's so funny. he put some needles in me. He told me to like close my eyes for 20 minutes yeah. and I felt great. And I've been going ever since. That wow. Was like so, probably so this four is years ago. Not the five point, but a different kind of yeah. acupuncture. Yeah. I mean, wow. acupuncture Amazing. for me personally, it has um, really changed my life um and uh before acupuncture i was taking a lot more prescription drugs for headaches and so yes i'm i'm i mean before the film i was open to it i respected it but i didn't have a personal experience but the last few years while shooting this film i i've been lucky to get acupuncture receive acupuncture treatments from most of the people in the documentary who still practice acupuncture which has been amazing that is amazing. As a as a student, I watch the film. What am I going to write my essay about? Is is it is it about police oppression? Is is it about the health healthcare system? I love that one woman you interviewed. I think it was a woman who said that, that really this is all about human rights and healthcare. Yeah. You know what what would I focus on? Do you think, or what would you want me to focus on? I think there are some great choices. Um, I think that. Healthcare as a human right is a, obviously there. Um, that's a tough question that you just asked. Well, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen, just so you know. <laughs> I, I think that there will be students who are going to be writing essays about this and about, about Matulu and the story, and I'm sure it's already happened. But I think what's so brilliant about, about Doc Film and, 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 and artists like yourself who, who actually take these stories on, you've just offered it up for the rest of the world. Now it's up to us to, to do something with it, right? And uh, I, I truly believe that's, that's going to happen. Um, 
did, did, is this the movie you really wanted to make? Um, or, or did you know? Well, no, I didn't know. I, when I first started this, when I first started to, um, to write treatments and pitch this film, it was back in like 2015 when we thought Matulu Shakur was going to be released from prison oh, in 2016. Okay. Right. So the okay. original idea was like Matulu would be coming home right. and he would yeah. continue doing this work and he would be reunited with his teacher and mentor, Mario Waksu. So there was this whole other, you know, this, it was going to be much more of a cinema verite film following him and, um, and then he didn't get released. We, I was in LA. He was supposed to be released. We were with his family waiting for him to come out. And at the last minute, they decided not to release him. Um, so that was devastating for personal reasons for him, his family. And then I was just like, okay, I'm going to just keep, um, maybe the film will be about this, you know? Right. And then um, the more I started to spend time in New York and talk to the the remaining, um, the people who were involved in this program, I, it just sort of took on this whole other form. Um, but I don't know. I, I mean, some people have that luxury of they write a film and then they know exactly what they're going to make. But usually the subjects, in my experience, the subjects I choose, it's it's they're usually very research heavy during the mm. process so mm -hmm. they take form as i'm going um, right and to me that's just like it's it's challenging but it's just the the way i know how to do these things you know well it's a little more like life it seems yes. to me too right it just kind of unfolds so you don't you, you can sort of you can try to plan it you can try to write it but it doesn't necessarily tease out that way and my role is, as a documentary filmmaker is to just is to meet these people who were there, to meet people who've experienced, um, you know, who've experienced something amazing firsthand, and to listen to what they have to tell me about it, and I take it in. So there's no way for me to to know, you know, <laughs> like right, right. Um, every time I would meet somebody new and listen to them, it was like a whole you know, I would write down dates of events and then I'd look for archives. So it was this whole like other door opening into this world. So it was this, it's pretty amazing. Um, and I think that, yeah, somebody could, there's still so many documentaries and books that could be so, written based on you know, so this. many stories to tell. I mean, the mm -hmm. people that you interviewed in this film could have films made about them in a heartbeat, yeah. you know, it's just the, 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 yeah, the, the, the nuances there, you know, there, the moment in the film where I think, and help me out here if I, maybe I missed something, but, and I can't remember who it was, but put on the sort of the, the, the suit and the, and the mask and yes. walked into the old building. That was a real sobering moment for me. Mm -hmm. And, and I've walked through old buildings like that and, and the work that I've done over the years and, you know, old wartime buildings and things. And it's, you, you, there's a, hmm, it's like you're, well, you're sort of stepping into a time machine, I suppose, in a way. But I, I think what I want to ask you about it for me was it, there was this sort of shock of recognition of, wow, you know, so long ago and yet not really just kind of yesterday. And then we look, you know, we, we go to BBC or CNN or CBC and what's going on in Minneapolis and Washington and the riots? We're not. I mean, have we? Have we? Are, are we any better off, Mia? I mean, uh, you know, should should there have been more documentaries like Dope is Death made, but from then till like, what what the heck is going on? Well, I think you know, while I was shooting this film, I would ask people. Like, I remember once I asked 
when I was interviewing Siku Odinga, who's um, was served 33 and a half years in prison. And um, I think 11 years in solitary confinement, I asked him somewhat, I will say, probably, I'll just admit it naively, like, how have things changed, like, since the 60s? And he said that nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Wow. People have been saying that over and over in the film. And then I think the last few days, I've been you know, because we've been talking a lot more about white supremacy and um, on a, you know, everybody's talking about this and everybody's really looking at it and really nothing has changed. But right now, finally, I hope people are willing or they're waking up to it and learning that as white people, we need to really take this moment to step aside and listen and help but mm-hmm. not try and fix the problem we have yeah, to work with people and i mean we sorry we have a lot of work to do um systematically but i think that it's just a really interesting time and i really i want to stay positive about it oh how about how about each one teach one yes i mean like listen like can't we just okay yes we gotta we gotta roll up our sleeves and somehow step in but let's get some um, wise advice, and let's step back and just go. What is going on? What is the history? I just watched uh, Rodrigo's Ray's film Four Ninety Nine, and it's it's a it's for coming up on five hundred years in Mexico, and he sort of goes back and looks at colonialism and how it's connected to the violence of today, and so on. I mean, how can you try to fix something if you if you can't really understand it in the first place, right? Absolutely. So yeah. so anyway, I just yeah. this is again what I so love about hot dogs and about TIFF and 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 and, and art, frankly, and film especially for me is it just it allows us to step into a whole other world and a whole other a group of people's lives and say wow things could be differently if if we could just listen and honestly and look a little bit closer um um are you would you call yourself a, a, a that's okay would you call yourself a um i hope hope it was important um <laughs> an idea Oh, there you go. That's important. Uh, are you are you an idealist, Mia? Like, uh, I was. All, I mean, I, you... I guess. Yeah, go. Uh, sorry. <laughs> um, I think as um, I would describe myself, I, I had been very idealistic. I think the last few years have been sobering, actually, since doing this film. Right. Um, so I would say my idealism has been um, fading but I think we I mean I think one thing that I get every time I speak with Matulu is like that this I'm always impressed by how much hope he still has Mm. and he's in prison Mm. he's been inside forever and um, sometimes I'm when I talk to him I feel ashamed after I'm like I need to have so much hope like look where I am (laughs) like yeah um we can do something so i think that it's just important to really keep hope ignited and move forward and try and feed some healthy idealism like we need to really be able to vision to just try and see a better future 
Well, I, I do. I mean, I think I think that's what your film does. I mean, I, I, I mean, you end in hope. It seems to me, um, uh, and that's that's got to be that's got to be affirming on on some level. And I, th- I mean, what is? I mean, what's the alternative, right? I don't think the alternative is exactly really all that great, you know. And 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 that's uh, hmm. anyway. I just uh, well, listen. I, I, I what a, what a pleasure uh, getting to chat about your film. We're gonna gotta wrap it up, I guess, in a couple of minutes here, sadly. And how how um, so? You were at the True and False Film Festival just before the COVID gavel fell. You actually had actual physical contact with audiences. How how did that go? It was so incredible, and I really mm. value this these the memories of those screenings. We had um, three amazing full house screenings with Juan Cortez present and Moprim Shakur, who's Mithulu Shakur's son and Tupac Shakur's stepbrother. And the audience, it was just so great. And since that screening, Mithulu's gotten so many letters from people and who saw the film. And uh, yeah, so it was, you know, exactly what you hope for as a filmmaker that your film's going to touch people and that you're going to have like, you know, great conversations after. So um, yeah, it's a weird time for especially people who are launching films for the first time ever and have never experienced that. Um, But we're lucky that, you know, it's great that hot docs is everybody's doing their best to get the films out under these strange circumstances. So and and people can get to see it docs uh, at hot docs online mm-hmm. till i think the 28th of june is that right and then super channel and on demand in canada and then hopefully in the not so distant future international distribution as well yes and and can you tell us a little bit about the podcast or is that premature well i can <laughs> the podcast will be coming out at, at the awesome. end of july um and the information will be on our website, our I, I Steal Film website, so E-Y-E-S-T-E-E-L-F-I-L-M. And it's after the screenings of the films and based on all the questions that I got after, um, we decided that we, to do a podcast that goes into a bit more in-depth of some of the issues in the film, right. but on a more in-depth um uh, you know, just unpacking sure. certain yeah, things. And so it's, it's, we're doing it now, so I can't say much more, but right, it okay. will be coming out. And awesome. um, so that's isteelfilm.com. And then, of course, your website, miadonovan.com. Yeah. And of course, too, uh, if you want to get involved, matuluchakur.com. There's a petition there to sign. You can write letters and learn more about uh, basically all of this, all of the above. Yes. So, Mia, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, we've been talking with Mia Donovan about her new film, uh, a Canadian premiere at Hot Docs Online, Dope as Death. you got to see it. And uh, thank you so much uh, for your time today, Mia. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.